and let's pray together as we come to think about it. Our Father, your word tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, that day after day they pour forth speech, telling us that we can look at the world around us and see that, yes, there is a God, but we can look specifically at your words, that special revelation that you have given us, a revelation that makes wise the simple with words that taste sweeter than honey. And we pray that that's what you would do this evening as we study it together, as we think it through, even in this area of uh, Christian giving. We need your help in this. Uh, we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the mishandling of other people's money is scandalous in society. I mean, think about what happened when Alice Jones raised £80,000 through a GoFundMe page for a homeless man in Aberdeen, the homeless man who did not see a penny of it. People are outraged, and Alice Jones's name is Mud. And what happened when Nick Leeson lost $1 billion of other people's hard-earned money in unhedged investments a few years ago? People were raging. And his reputation, as you would expect, was tarnished. It's not right to deceive people into giving, and it's wrong to mishandle what people have given in trust. And that is why it is every local church's responsibility to take extreme care to maintain integrity in money matters. We've all heard of horror stories in churches of embezzlers like Craig McCulloch last year, a trusted treasurer of a local church in London imprisoned for skimming £130,000 from the church's bank account. And we've heard the horror stories of the prosperity preachers who fleece God's sheep for personal gain. They're nothing but wolves in Gucci clothing. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says in 1 Timothy. And the mishandling of it is a source of so much harm. It harms a church's trust. It harms a church's witness. But worst of all, worse than the scandal of Alice Jones, or no, I keep going to say Liam Neeson, but it's not. It's Nick Leeson. I'm getting mixed up. Uh, Worse than that, worse than the scandal of even a lack of trust within members of a congregation is the fact that within a church, a lack of integrity in the giving or in the handling of gifts brings the reputation of Jesus into disrepute. That cannot happen at any point. So how do we maintain integrity while encouraging people to give generously? And we do. And what measures should be put in place to ensure that uh, people in churches are above reproach in their giving and in the handling of gifts? Well, this passage tells us. Let me quickly remind you of the context. Paul here in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians is encouraging the church in Corinth to give generously to a relief uh, collection for the churches in Jerusalem, in Judea. Uh, they are poor and they are picked on. 
And Corinth is in a position to help. In verses 1 to 9 that we looked at last week, we saw that Paul commended the generosity of Jesus and the Macedonians to inspire this Corinthian church to excel in the grace of giving. But this collection actually serves a second purpose whenever you have a closer look at it. It's a test of, their sin of the sincerity of their love. That's what Paul said in verse 8. Now at first, that sounds a little bit creflo, doesn't it? High pressure, it sounds a bit emotive, sounds like a tactic of the prosperity preacher. But Paul is not swindling them as he says all of this. Even as he talks about money, he's shepherding them. He's being a pastor to them. Here's why. For the previous year, a year previous to this, the Corinthians had been so full of themselves, serving only themselves. When you read 1 Corinthians, it's obvious to see that they were so full of themselves to the neglect of other people in their own church and outside of it. They've been greedy, they've been guileless, and none of that is good. It's not Christian. Now in Paul's judgment, this one-off collection that they wanted to give last year, but the collection had dried up, Paul sees this collection helping them somehow, helping them in their rehabilitation, or if you like, proving the sincerity of their repentance. But how can Paul, the apostle, maintain integrity in the whole process of encouraging this giving and not either be uh, use emotional high pressure or bring the name of Jesus into disrepute? Well, let's have a look. The answer's in the text. Uh, let's look at it in two points. First of all, Paul ensures integrity in the giving of gifts, and that's in verses 10 to 15 of chapter 8. Now, how does he do this? Well, quite simply, he insists that gifts are willingly given, verses 10 to 12. Willingness is what verses 10 to 12 are all about. In verse 10, the church's willingness in the past was commended. In verse 11, the church's willingness in the present was encouraged. In verse 12, the church's willingness is what makes any future gift they give acceptable to God. Now, how does willingness maintain integrity in Christian giving? Well, this call for willingness tells us that ultimately financial decisions are a matter for the individual. In other words, not for church leaders. Now notice that because Paul encourages generosity without making demands. He's already said this back in verse 8. I am not commanding you, he says explicitly. I'm not setting an amount. I'm leaving that with you. I'm not going to give you a percentage. I'm not laying down rules. I'm giving you advice. That's what he says in verse 10. This is my judgment. You could read on what's best for you. You could read, this is my advice. The Greek word means counsel on what will be good for you in this matter of giving to this collection. Now, it should go without saying, but this is so important when it comes to maintaining integrity in Christian giving. It shows us that church leaders can inspire us to give to special projects like this collection was or to everyday gospel work. I mean, that's how the church works. It's good for us to give. Let's not forget that. Uh, 
last week we saw it is a grace or a privilege uh, to be able to give. And we know why it stops money becoming an idol. It makes ministry happen. It makes the gospel known. It magnifies the loving kindness of God. All good reasons for leaders to inspire generosity. But leaders must take care because money can be an absolute ministry killer. It might get you a Learjet, but it'll send you to hell. And the temptation is strong. But this section also shows us that church leaders can't make demands. Every heart should be encouraged to give, but no arm should be twisted. Someone might say, well, hang on a minute, what about tithing? Isn't the amount already set in the Bible? I mean, tithing means 10%. Well, no. Sure, the Old Testament called for God's people to give 10%, but that's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. No, the New Testament, in the New Testament, willing generosity is the new rule. That's the way that gospel people live. Now, 10% might be a good place to start, 10% might absolutely kill you financially, uh, depending on the circumstances you're in. 10% might be easy for you, depending on your own circumstances. But the main consideration is, first of all, you decide how much to give. And second of all, well, Paul's focus here on the willingness means that the main consideration is the heart. This call for willingness tells us that financial decisions are a matter of the heart. Verse 12, willingness is what makes the gift acceptable to God. Uh, Kent Hughes tells this brilliant story of a church service here in Edinburgh in years gone by. He didn't say which church, I wish he did. I uh, hope it wasn't us. Anyway, uh, when a man accidentally put in a crown instead of a penny into the offering bag when it went round. Now that's like putting in a 50 pound note when you meant to put in a one pound note. Um, and when this man realized what he'd done, he quietly asked the steward for this crown back. Uh, but the steward replied, in once, in forever. Oh well, groaned the giver, I'll get credit for it in heaven. No, said the steward you'll get credit for a penny. How true. That's what the heart was putting in. The heart wasn't putting in anymore. And that's what we see throughout this section in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Gifts grudgingly given aren't willing gifts and therefore aren't acceptable to God. Gifts given out of habit aren't either. Not if the heart's not in it, friends. So this text then calls church members, all of us together, to ask, how involved is our heart in giving? Jump straight to chapter 9, verse 9. We're going to talk about this next Sunday night, but it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We'll think more about that next week. But this is what Paul does to maintain integrity in the giving of gifts. Firstly, by insisting that gifts are given willingly. But secondly, in this first point, by insisting that gifts are given wisely. Look with me at verses 12 to 15. Wisdom is what Paul's calling for here. Now, wisdom in the Bible is choosing the best course of action 
based on all the knowledge and resources that you have and acting on it. And that's what Paul encourages when it comes to this gift of giving. Verse 12 tells us that wisdom helps people like us to give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. That's what stops us from giving more than we should and putting ourselves into financial difficulty. In verses 13 to 15, it's wisdom that helps people give according to what people need. So it turns your eyes away from yourself to see the need. They're, they're encouraged to see the need of these suffering and poor churches in Judea. And this is what stops you from keeping all to yourself while leaving other people in need, in difficulty. And Paul says here, his goal is equality, right? He says so there in verse 13. Now, don't misunderstand that. He's not trying to do a kind of balancing out of wealth within society. This isn't Marxism that he's preaching. His goal is mutual generosity, really equality in generosity. You can think about how it looked when it started. I mean, the, he could say, you know, you Corinthians, you were spiritually impoverished until the Judean churches in their generosity, being made rich in Christ, shared that gospel with you by well, financing and sending gospel workers to be missionaries out to Europe. That's how you know and believe the gospel. You've been made spiritually rich because they, in a way, gave sacrificially themselves. Now, Paul's saying to them, you who are now, I guess, financially rich, have an opportunity to be generous in order to alleviate their financial poverty. And actually, the way he talks about it here in verses 13 to 15 is like, this could actually come back to help you at some point. There may be a time when they're more wealthy or they have the plenty in some form and you might have a need that's met and they'll help you too. You see what he's trying to say? It's equality to help and serve one another through generous giving of whatever resources God has placed into our control is just a demonstration of our Christian unity. And it's an act of God's providence. Ultimately, that's what the reference to the manna was all about from Exodus 16. I mean, what do we read in that passage that was read to us earlier? That God is the generous provider in a place of need where everybody, no matter what the size of their family, no matter what the home circumstances were, no matter what their level of need was, everybody's need was met. No one had too much, no one had too little, just enough was the order of the day. That's what God is working out in and through the generous giving of church families like ours. He's speaking to our church, remember, and also through church members like us too. Now, the question is, how does this maintain integrity in Christian giving? Well, again, wisdom makes financial decisions a matter of individual prudence, which is really fascinating whenever you think about what we looked at last week. I mean, remember, Paul had just in verses 1 to 5 commended the Macedonians for giving out of their poverty. Verse 3 specifically says they gave beyond their ability. And then Paul in verse 9 held up Jesus for... Uh, who gave out of his riches for your sake, he became poor. But while Paul holds both up as an inspiration for giving, he doesn't make them a rule. Do you see that? He doesn't say, look at the Macedonians. Come on then, Corinthians, give beyond your means. He doesn't say that. 
Make yourself poor. He doesn't say that either. No, he encourages generous giving to meet a need and leaves the amount with them. Do you see how that maintains integrity even when calling for generosity? Now, how does this apply to us? He's telling these guys to give according to your means and according to people's needs, right? Take both into account. Well, if you want to get really practical about it, it starts with making a budget. It starts with actually knowing what your means are. Income, expenditure. Some of you are like, blah, 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 blah. I just live by every day. Whatever comes in, it's just mine to go with. And we'll see what's left at the end of the month. Well, that's careless stewardship, if I may be so bold. <laughs> God wants us to think very carefully about the resources that he's put in our hands to know what our means are so that we can surely, well, maximize our generosity again without putting ourselves into difficulty. So do you budget? Do you plan what you're going to do with your money the same way that you plan what you're going to do with your week? Your finances are as important as your calendar. Actually, both tie up very much. Do you sit down at the start of each month and prayerfully decide how to glorify God with your money? We should. It took me, honestly, see, after I became a Christian, it, took, it was about three years before I realized that giving was a thing because I wasn't taught it when I was discipled. But then it was an awful lot longer until I realized the value of budgeting. It stops us from making mistakes. It helps us be intentional and brings us joy in these acts of giving. And it stops you from doing the kind of thing that Paul warns about here, putting yourself into some kind of poverty. I mean, if you have an income of £1,000 per month and obligations totaling £800 a month, then don't plan to give £3,000 a month. That's just not going to work out. But plan. Be in a position to give wisely proportionately, you might say, in a way that doesn't leave you in trouble or debt. And then, having figured out what your means are, be generous according to those means. Plan, like the way 1 Corinthians 16 says. And if you do feel compelled to give beyond your means, like the Macedonians did at some point, well, remember, it involves sacrifice. You say no to something in order to say yes to something else. You give up the Netflix subscription or something like that in order to give an extra, what, 70 quid to something that you would really love to give to. That's an example. But this is how Paul essentially ensures integrity in the giving of gifts. Give according to your means. Turn your eyes and your heart away from yourself. Look at the needs of other churches in other areas. And this is what the gospel partnerships do for us. Our partnership with FIEC, our partnership with the Pillar Network. Those are two fantastic families, if you like, that networks that put churches in communication with each other where they can see needs and help to meet them. How else have we been able to plant Christchurch Queens Ferry? And how, will we, how are we able to launch them in three or four weeks' time? Well, because... There's another two churches in the States who have very deliberately entered into partnership with us to make that happen through their generosity. It's glorious. It's a way to meet the spiritual needs 
in Queen's Ferry. And it's done with great integrity, making gospel ministry happen and bringing glory to the name of Jesus. Give according to those means and according to the needs you see. Well, that's how Paul ensures integrity in the, firstly, in the giving of gifts, but secondly, what about the handling of gifts? Well, this is point two. He ensures integrity in the, if you like, the administration of this gift in a couple of ways. First of all, he doesn't collect it himself. Verses 19 to 20 tell us why. There are two reasons. The first is there in verse 19, because he says this is a trip that's designed to honor the Lord and to indicate eagerness to the Jerusalem churches of their desire to help the churches throughout Greece. And reason two states it even more explicitly. Uh, verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian or you're watching online, we care what you think about us. We want you to think rightly about Christians, even in relation to this matter of giving. I've heard it said, ah, oh, those Christians, they're always after your money. Look at this guy, he's got three weeks worth of sermons on giving. Can you not just do it in one? Yeah, I could, but I'm verbose. I, I just talk for too long. But we want you to think well of us because we want to remove all barriers to you getting to know Jesus. In fact, it's our ambition and our goal to live in a way that helps you see the reflection of Jesus Christ in us. So ask us more questions about this. Paul wants the collection of this offering to be done with such integrity that it's totally above reproach. No one, no one, in no one's judgment can they be criticized, not in the world, but even of the greatest court of them all, not in God's eyes. Is there any wrongdoing done? And Paul knew that this initiative in gathering this collection would open him up to the accusation of being a swindler. But in this way, he can't be accused of extortion or exploitation or forcing people to give. He doesn't go himself. So what does he do? Well, he sends, look at verse 23. He sends the glory of Christ instead. He sends the glory of Christ. What does that mean? Well, verse 23 tells us that collectively these three guys that he sends are an honor to Christ. In another translation, it's the glory of Christ. Who are they? Well, they are Paul's partner in ministry, Titus, who, as the text says, was moved by God to help, motivated by love for the Corinthian church, and eager to serve voluntarily so. So he says, I love the Lord. I love this church in Corinth. I'd love to go and help them and get them back on track. He's the one who's already come with the report to Paul to say, they're really repenting, Paul. The majority of the church are doing so well. Let me go and serve them in this way. And Paul says, I'll send you. That's great. Fantastic. The next guy in verses 18 to 21, he is the famous brother. Ironically, we're not given his name. He's that famous. It doesn't matter. 
He is praised by the churches for his service to the gospel, verse 18, and, like a good Baptist, chosen by the churches to accompany the team and administer the gift to the church in Jerusalem too. He's accompanied by a third brother who is, well, let's call him the zealous brother. Uh, verse 22, zealous in gospel matters. He's a man who gets things done for Jesus. Verse 22b, he is confident in the Corinthians himself, believes the best about their repentance. That's why these three together are an honor to Christ, the glory of Christ. They are people of integrity, sent because they love the Lord, they love the church, they love the churches in Jerusalem, they want this to be done exceptionally well for the glory of God. Which tells us clearly that those who handle money should be those who are characteristically godly, ministry-minded, eager to encourage, giving that honors God, big-hearted, loving the church, confident of the fruit of repentance, and well-regarded, chosen by the church for these very reasons. Now, we know we have these people in our own church. Uh, we have a treasurer, we have a finance team who serve him and us superbly well in this area. And it's so good to see that they are so characteristically godly in the way that they handle everything. Every aspect of our finances are dealt with and handled with meticulous care. There's accountability in the budget and in the handling of funds. When you give, there's never a time when it's handled by one person alone. And when you give, there's never a time when it can't be traced by our auditors even. There's utmost integrity in all this because it matters to us. We do not want to be a scandal because we believe the reputation of Christ is glorious. We won't allow it to happen. Now that's the first thing, but this in verses eight, uh, chapter eight, verse twenty-five through to nine, five tells us another reason why Paul's encouraging integrity in the handling of this gift, because it not only brings glory to Christ, it encourages ongoing partnership in the gospel. In verse two of chapter nine, we read that Paul had boasted of the Corinthians to the Macedonians especially about their readiness to give. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 16. He talked about their enthusiasm. And actually, this was the thing that helped to stir up the Macedonians to give beyond their ability that we saw in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. It made them want to give. But by the same token, you know, just as we see there that another local church can be so encouraged by the generosity of another local church. Wow, look at what they're doing for the gospel. We could do something like that. And it, next thing you know, your heart is fired for the same thing. And then you're motivated to give maybe to the same project. Or to do something similar through our own church family. But just as one local church can be encouraged by the evidence of grace that they see in another local church. One local church can be discouraged by a lack of zeal for the gospel or even integrity within the church family or its leaders. Preparing this offering in Corinth provides an opportunity for that church family back then to show that Paul's integrity was intact. That his boasting in them was not hollow. That he wasn't 
foolish for believing the best about them, and he did, for encouraging them despite their sin. They were a mess. So verse 3, Paul sends these, this triplet, this finance team, to prove his confidence in them and prove the repentance of the Corinthians. And verse 4 gives us a scenario if the Corinthian church isn't ready or prepared, then Paul's integrity could be questioned by the Macedonians. He'd be shamed. Or their integrity could be questioned by the Macedonians who are going to come down. They'd be shamed, and they wouldn't have that. Because then everybody's integrity is called into question. And as a consequence, giving to the growth of the gospel would be affected. And that cannot happen. That's the opposite of what we're meant to be doing through the administration and the handling of gifts. So, the right administration of gifts by those who are the glory of Christ helps to encourage generosity, gospel partnership, and maintain integrity throughout. Isn't gospel ministry just so practical? You might think, actually, this is a little bit dull. You're just getting a little bit too excited about this, Liam. But I think it's glorious. It's so grounded. For Paul to send these guys, as verse 5 says, an, as an advanced team to finalize the collection, there's the practical side of it. But they're also, the Corinthians are being helped to give generously, not grudgingly, and that's the pastoral side of it. It's beautiful. Well, as I said earlier, we've been blessed by gospel partnerships. And we've blessed others through gospel partnerships as well. Through giving, through our acts of giving in different ways to special projects or through everyday ministry. I mean, we're able to support the needs of those that Samaritans Purse reach out to, for example, through our support of the Zidans, our cross-cultural workers. Or, well, we've been able to help in lots of different ways, like training up men for ministry in northern India through our brother Harshit Singh out there. What a privilege for us to engage in gospel partnership and ensure integrity in the giving and the handling of gifts that bring glory to Christ. And we love it. And we want to do more of it. That's why we want to encourage you with the confidence in the integrity that we have as a church family in handling these gifts to excel in the grace of giving. To enjoy the privilege of participation in what Paul in chapter 8 calls this Lord's service. And to recognize in it, friends, that Paul's overarching concern, though it's practical and pastoral, his ultimate concern is the reputation of Jesus. And no wonder. It is Christ who gave his life. Not grudgingly, but willingly, gladly even. Walking out to meet his betrayer, determined to go to the cross for our salvation. To pay the price of our redemption. To free us from the punishment that was due us for our sins. 
and to raise us to new life in him, now through faith, and one day forever in the new heaven and new earth. And he gave his life not just willingly, but wisely. There is no one wiser than the Lord Jesus Christ, no one wiser than the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, having considered what would be best based on all the knowledge and the resources that he has, he knows everything, every possible outcome. With that perfect knowledge, the perfect application of it, in a way that it would bring him glory, was to send his son to die for us at great cost to himself. Christ died for us that we might believe in him, have our spiritual debt cleared and given a new life, a new and generous life to live for him and for his glory. That's the big picture. Friends, keep that in mind. And let's pray. Our Father, Jesus is glorious. We praise you for his coming and his living, his dying, his rising, for the willingness he demonstrated in going to that cross, for the wisdom that he taught with, for the wisdom that he shared with us as he went to that cross and how the wisdom of the cross is then applied in our daily lives by the Spirit whom he graciously and generously gave us. We praise you for this. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be the glory of Christ, to be those who are characteristically godly in the giving and handling of gifts, ministry-minded, well-regarded, loving others according to our means and according to the gifts that we would give as we reflect on your gospel. Help us in this matter. Lord, in our sinfulness, we can be oh, greedy and we keep our money or we can be proud and showy with our money. Help us to be neither of those. Help us to be generous and to be kind like you are. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.